cult and classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends of the pod, to another mini-sode of Cult and Classic Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about cult and mainstream movies that are thematically linked and also bring you things like extra movie reviews, interviews with creatives uh, and awesome people, things like that. And these mini-sodes are what we bring you to tide you over until the next main episode, which launches on Tuesdays at 5 a.m., Pacific Standard Time. So today's mini-sode, we've got a review of a brand spanking new movie, uh, one that seems to have been delayed because of Miss Rona, but uh, is in theaters now and is beating out most of the other things in theaters currently. It is Spiral from the Book of Saw. Uh, most people are just calling it Spiral now, although I guess the original title was Spiral from the Book of Saw, because otherwise people wouldn't necessarily know that it's a spin-off of the Saw franchise. Now, if you don't know, uh, first, I am your host, Nate Wyckoff, comedian and film critic. And uh, Saw is a franchise started in about 2004 um, by James Wan uh, and, and another producer. And James Wan directed that. That started his uh, sort of leap into the big time entertainment industry world. Of course, now he's got the Aquaman franchise for Warner Brothers and uh, things like that. This movie is number 1 million and 10 in the franchise uh that started in 2004 it is that's not a bad thing uh i'm no i'm not angry at good sequels and there have been a few um this one is not directed by james wan it's directed by darren lynn bozeman who also directed saw two three and four and a little film from 2008 called repo the genetic opera which is a great cult uh cyberpunk dystopian musical uh, absolutely check it out it's a lot of fun but um spiral is special for a couple of reasons that set it apart from the rest of the saw franchise one uh saw always centered around uh tobin bell's character known as jigsaw uh who sort of was a mastermind at creating these torture devices that caused people to make a choice either they could be severely injured or they would die uh and uh the movies hinged on most people uh, not wanting to put themselves through horrible, torturous pain, so they end up dying in gruesome ways. Uh, they're kind of gore flicks. Uh, I would say they're mainstream gore flicks. You know, they're not like um, something that Unearthed has put out recently. You know, one of the remastered European gore flicks that truly are nauseating to watch. I think it depends on your tolerance, though. There's certainly some things in the Saw films that are uh, uh, make your tummy turn. But Spiral, it's not so much an attempt at uh, changing the formula, but sort of attempt at putting a new coat of paint on it. Um, the Tobin Bell's character is dead. Uh, everyone in this universe knows he's dead. Um, and so when police officers surrounding Chris Rock's character, uh, who is a, a disliked officer because he turned in another one for crooked dealings uh when when people in his precincts start being murdered via these saw-esque methods they think it's a copycat of jigsaw uh and spoiler alert not really it is a copycat uh tobin bell is nowhere to be seen in this film and that's fine i don't have a problem with that i think most fans wouldn't uh his character is sort of iconic at this point but he's not the sole reason that the saw franchise was successful uh, the Saw franchise, in addition to having these torture devices, um, there's also this moral play, right? Because the Jigsaw character put people in these situations where they had done some great 
injustice as he saw it. So this was like a moral thing. They pay the price for their misdeeds uh, or they uh, pay the price for their misdeeds by dying. Um, and so it sort of made him this weird anti-hero, which, which allowed for a lot of other um, sequels to the original movie to sort of expand that idea out. Uh, we've seen this before in things like the anime Death Note and the manga um, and the live action films that have spawned from it and so on. It's, it's, you know, the idea of a vigilante killer sort of getting outside support. Um, that's, that's the second part of what makes the Saw movies kind of iconic. And then I think the third part is that they're, they're sort of intended to be, uh, pardon the language, mind fucks. There's usually a whodunit or a surprise, a twist, a shock ending of some kind. Uh, I think that actually Saw 2 probably had the only one that really got me as far as the, the twist ending. Spiral does have a twist ending, so to speak, but I think it's what most people think of. They think of the gore, they think of the Jigsaw character, and they think of the twist. Does Spiral have those things? Well, of course it doesn't have Jigsaw, um, but it does have a couple of gruesome uh, machinations, uh, the games of the Saw franchise, and it has a twist. But whenever you have a twist in a film, you always have to, did it work? You know, you have to ask that question. Did it work? Did I see it coming? Um, I'm just going to right off the bat say yes. Unfortunately, I was able to see it coming, and I'm sure many people, especially those familiar with the Saw franchise, will see the twist early on, uh, too early, probably with, you know, early in the first half uh, or, or, or midway through the first half of, of the movie, you'll kind of assume who is behind all of this. And it's pretty obvious the way that it's written. Um, there are certain things, you know, that, that will tip you off. I'm not going to spoil it too much. I don't, it's sort of like the one thing I'll say is uh, everyone knows that the jigsaw character and the copycats they they play a game with their victim uh so if there's no game well then it probably is not a, a real murder that that's the tip off point and there's a lot of other ones in this movie that will tell you who the killer is long before the uh reveal is made and that's unfortunate because the actual setup is pretty good um the the idea that chris rock is this uh golden boy police officer whose dad was like a, a well-renowned head of the department and is retired now and uh but all of a sudden he sees something dirty sees a cop murder an innocent man and so he you know turns that cop in and all the other cops distrust him after that and are gunning for him now people who don't have a lot of dealings with police officers and don't follow the news very closely and uh, aren't involved in the black lives matter movement and, and uh, things of that nature may actually think that this seems unrealistic but um there time and time again we see that there is this uh for lack of a better term boys club quote unquote that happens in um police departments uh, across the country and it's a really unfortunate thing and to think that you know, this is not that outside the realm of reality that a, a cop who does the right thing uh, that costs another police officer their job or worse is is somehow a martyr from the cause. So kudos to them for bringing that reality to this. But I will say there's another problem, which is amidst our current climate where we know that uh, people of color are being um, mistreated by police and our and our country's authority figures. Uh, the I, the fact that there is zero acknowledgement of any sort of racism, it's not even a part of this plot, 
is questionable, especially since the movie is dealing explicitly with police corruption. I think that that's really a missed moment. I think that it was probably intentional to leave it out, but I think it was a mistake because that's what everybody watching this movie in the theater was thinking is how are they going to handle the the race situation and they don't even touch on it at all um the bad cops are of all colors and uh chris rock never brings it up samuel jackson is a hero of the department so it just it didn't even come into play um people will argue well it shouldn't have to that's not the case everywhere well it kind of i think it should because it's clearly widespread but beyond that so we have um, a good setup. Chris Rock, it is great to see him in a serious role. Uh, I think that a few times they probably had him play a little ham-fisted with the sort of um, cocky cop thing, but I don't really see it as, as, a, as a negative. We know Chris Rock. So if I can watch the movie and buy into it and stop seeing Chris Rock as the hilarious stand-up comedian and see him as this character, which I, I did, uh, it's a success. And so I kudos to him. I hope he does more films uh, in this vein, in this serious vein. Uh, I think it's, it's great. Samuel Jackson, of course, always does his job uh, well with a lot of fun behind it. Um, he's the sort of jerky, but ultimately uh, caring father. Um, and then we have uh, Chris Rock's new partner, uh, who he gets sort of as punishment for being a, a loose cannon. Um, who is played by Max Mignella and apologies, Max, if I'm mispronouncing your name, but he does a good job, but he's not given a lot to work with. Um, he's sort of supposed to be just the nice guy, new kid. He's supposed to understand. He's supposed to be the precious cinnamon roll, but he doesn't have enough material to make that work, which makes the later plot problematic because to expect him to carry a large role with the character he's given, it doesn't, it didn't work. You know, um, you look at a, another person who was kind of given a large role to fill. look at a character like, or an actor like Tobin Bell. Uh, he, he really made Jigsaw's own with very limited um, screen time and material, but his voiceover, he just, he was able to act uh, even if he wasn't on camera all the time. And, uh, and, and Max isn't given that opportunity. And I think that the, the ending of the film suffers for it. So ultimately I'm just getting right to it. Should you see this film? If you're a fan of Saw and the franchise, of course, see this film. I don't think you'll be particularly disappointed. Um, the gore aspects are here, as I said. Uh, I think a couple of the machines are a little goofy. Uh, we've seen the teaser trailer and the trailer trailer and the sneak peek. They all had this sort of tongue ripping, you know, device and a speeding train. Um, that's probably the best one. And it serves to set up the movie. Um, the others melted wax. I won't spoil them all, but they're a little it's weird to say over the top when you're talking about a torture device from a horror movie famous for ridiculous torture devices, but they're just not, they didn't sell me hundred percent. They're sort of, um, they're treated more as plot devices, which is fine than they are big, uh, impressive set design spectacles. Again, that's one way to do it. And that's fine. It put the focus on Chris Rock's character, uh, and, and that sort of thing. And that's, that's a okay. Is the writing particularly crisp or insightful? No, but it's serviceable. I mean, this is the same team that has written um, the the last several Saw movies, including Jigsaw, uh, Josh Stolberg, and Pete Goldfinger. Um, I think they're a very competent writing team. I think they they set out to a goal and they nail it, but that doesn't mean that it's couldn't be better. Let's put it that way. Um, I, I think especially the cop dynamic and the the police station. Um, 
elements could have been crafted more compellingly. Uh, but again, if you're a fan, watch it. If you want like a cop drama, I mean, this movie really is sort of, if you're thinking like the violence and the serial killing and the, um, and the police angle, you might be thinking of like seven. And it does seem like, feel like this kind of is trying to be seven. Um, you'll know from listening to this podcast, I actually don't think seven is a very good film. I can talk for hours about why I think it's kind of a missed opportunity and, and is weak, but uh, clearly a lot of people like it. And so you, we get these movies that are sort of copycats and like the killer in this spiral is a bit of a saw cop, uh, excuse me, a seven copycat. But um, I didn't regret my time with the movie, but I did wish that they'd really put more effort into making the killer more interesting, uh, more engaging, more of an element throughout the film. Uh, we sort of see just a couple of snippets of, of the killer uh, in the sort of saw, like let's play a game mode. Uh, and, and it just, it wasn't enough to, to create the new character that they're trying to, they appear to be trying to do, you know, the new replacement jigsaw. So take from that what you will. Uh, I, I think it's made enough money that it's going to get a sequel. And um, I would love to see Chris Rock's character come back. I don't know if they're going to do that, but I think that it's really exciting to be able to have a character that has gone through this change in this film as Chris Rocks does. And then at the end, take him into a new movie and see something totally different. So I hope that they do that. I hope that they take a risk and, and move this in a new direction um, after this film, because it is a little bit of a retread, if not a, a comfortable one. So that's it for this mini-sode of Cult and Classic Podcast. I, of course, am your host, Nate Wyckoff. Join us every Tuesday for uh, our main episodes where we talk about thematically linked films, uh, a mainstream and a cult film, and when we also discuss uh, awesome things like interviews and, and important franchises and film history and cult film cinema. And um, make sure you listen to our Friday mini-sodes like this one so you can get reviews and interesting information that uh, you are sure to like as a cult and classic fan. Thanks so much. And here is The Chud with All About Evil. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Cult and Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit cultandclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.